Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. And happy 2024 to us. And I think that we have been recording podcasts, I don't know, we've done 200, 300, something like that. But you know what? We saved the very best for right now because our guest today is, if you don't know her, you have to know her. Her name is Becky Selengut. Now, see, Selengut, I'm pronouncing it the German. I'm trying to be impressive. But anyway, if you don't know Becky, all her information, of course, is going to be up on the website, The Woman Beyond a Certain Age, when we broadcast this. Becky is a cookbook author. She's a uh, culinary instructor. She's a chef. She's an expert in a lot of food. And we are lucky to have her here. So welcome, Becky. Oh, hi, Denise. So great to see you again. I and know. Now, you. I'm so glad to see you. Now, here's what I wanted to ask you. How did you and I ever meet? Through a mutual friend through okay. Ashlyn. Oh, of course. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ashlyn came to Cindy's to work with Cindy and I as an intern. She was fabulous. She worked with us for a while and then she went off and bought a bed and breakfast, which I think she still has, doesn't she? She still has. And I and I I go and I write my books at her oh, bed and breakfast. You lucky where I do my writing retreats and it's amazing. That's incredible. Ashlyn was wonderful. We knew she was um, too smart to stay working with us for too long. <laughs> really, let's be honest. Then I remember I was in Seattle getting on a cruise ship to teach with my sister and you and I got to meet for lunch. Yes, yes. That's and you cracked me up the whole time. I could barely um, like eat my food without like spewing it on the table. You're such a funny, funny person. You know what? I do. I I don't know that I'm so funny, Becky, but I do know that I see things differently sometimes than other people. Which you know what I mean. Which yeah, could be interpreted as being funny. Thank oh, you. I, I think I'm you're hilarious. You you're I you're think, my kind of person, Denise. Okay, now but let me say this one thing, and we're going to start talking about your book. I joined Threads. If for all of our listeners, some most of our listeners, I don't know that we we get a few TikTok people. I can't imagine why. We it's mostly Facebook. We all know that Facebook is for old people, for mature people. But when Threads came out, I joined it because one or two friends said you should join Threads. Well, now Becky, I've been on Threads. I don't see anything interesting except for you. You are most people were were already in the the trenches and threads with people that want me, that want to show me their penises or show <laughs> or retired generals that like my smile. I mean, we've gone down the, the trash of humanity. But you, I read, the only reason I'm still on threads is for you. I fall, uh -huh. I, I go every day to see what you wrote because it's brilliant. So I'm hoping that you will uplift threads. I'm not kidding. We need uplifting. I I was on like Twitter in the very early days when it was still a community. And um, I remember one time I uh, was like, I'm in a jam. I've got a private event. I need four squab. Any, can anyone help me? And a chef was like, I got you. Come to the back door of my restaurant. I got you set up. And I was like, this is why social media has so much like community power and potential 
And then, um, and then it completely went to shit in a handbasket and I, I like dropped off Twitter, but like, it's been years since I was actively writing on social media. And I think, um, threads, a friend told me about it. I got on there and I'm like, I don't need, you know, women beyond a certain age, I don't give a shit anymore. Like I have hit the age where I, 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 I guess like, I just like, like a man's entitled from the very moment they're born. I don't care. Yes. I don't care. And I, and I'm enjoying the not caring. And as soon as someone comes on there and is disgusting or gross, I'm enjoying the whack-a-mole blocking. It's cathartic. I wish I could do it with real people in my life. Um, luckily I don't, I've done that in the, my forties. So I don't really have very many people I need to <laughs> block in real life anymore, but like in threads, it's just great. I don't even, every once in a while I get tempted and I will engage them only to be as sarcastic as possible, yes. which they yeah. don't normally get. I, and I, then so I block them. But I love what you write. It's honest. It's wonderful. And yes, Becky, thank goodness. I say this all the time. My generation more, because I'm decades older than you. No, you're not. Just well, a well, decade. A decade. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. When I was being raised, and this is in the 50s and going into the 60s, thank God there was a revolution. But we really were the end of that. Always be nice. Don't swear. Put on your lipstick. You know what I mean? I mean don't act like that. Don't be loud. Don't, you know, really let the man, let the boy speak all this. Uh, when I look back on it, Becky, and I look at it and I, and I was at a writer's retreat in October and women were all my age, if not older. So it was wonderful because I'm usually the oldest one in the crowd. I looked at all of us and thought the messages we got as young women, we're like, the scarecrow, <laughs> the scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. I, we have no brains because we were stuffed full of all this crap. I mean, yeah. crap. My yeah. mother was wonderful. She, as we, as I, as we all grew up a little bit, she had three girls. It got a little better, but my mother never said to me, "Oh, Denise, you should go to law school." Or when uh, we would talk, and my sister was a genius and got into Mills and Stanford and stuff. But still, my mother was not thinking that we would go to college to have the, you know, to, to have a life. <laughs> we were supposed to get married and pick out the China pattern. So when I, I think that's so wonderful about all the things that have happened in our culture, but for me right now, you said it. I don't give a shit what people think. I don't care what people think. I don't want to know what other people think lots of times. <laughs> and <laughs> to be perfectly honest, and the idea of saying what you really think and being honest with people in the long term is what we should be teaching our children. Absolutely. Amen. And be, our and be ourselves. Be and ourselves. ourselves. All yeah. right. You have to tell our listeners, we're talking today, and I love, I was so grateful. Becky's book drops, as they say in publishing, on 2-2024. But We'll broadcast that before this, but it is on pre-sale for Amazon. And for those of you that have not written books or our listeners that have not been in publishing, pre-sales is like the answer to a writer's prayer, to an author's prayer. 
Because if your publisher or Amazon sees that they're already selling books and it hasn't even dropped yet, oh my God, your next advance has just gone up or hopefully the amount of books that they're going to print for you. So I say that to people, please go and check it out on Amazon. But this book, it's, uh, it's so timely and it's entitled Misunderstood Vegetables. Becky, I read, Becky was kind enough to send me the PDF so I could read it. I have, I read it and I thought, oh my God, now Becky, you have to tell us, how did you come up with this thought? How did you come up with this theory, this, this book title? Well, um, I, I wish I could take credit, but I, I cannot. I taught a class at the um, well-known cooking school in Seattle called The Pantry. And when I started there about 12 years ago, they had taught a class called Misunderstood Vegetables that the director had, the the uh, um, owner of the, of the school, cooking school came up with. And I took that class over and uh, I asked her per permission to write a book based on the, the topic. And I said, it's such a brilliant title and it's quirky and it's a little funny and sarcastic and it's uh, it's approachable and it, it was perfect. And so um, I've just gone with it. I put I would invite people into the the uh, classroom with a each time I taught it a, a, a still life of vegetables with googly eyes on it to make them more approachable. Um, unfortunately, my my publisher did not go for my idea of having the cover with the Romanesco which yes. is photographed on the cover with googly eyes. But I got the googly eye photo in an early page in the book. She let me have one page with googly eyes. But, you know, because I'm a rebel and I don't give a shit, when I go to book signings, when the book comes out, I'm going to sign the book with googly eyes. So I'm going to be bringing them with me everywhere. Because you can't be scared of a rutabaga if it's staring back at you with googly eyes. You said it, one of the lines in your, in the beginning of your book says, the vegetables that you've passed over at the farmer's market, because, and, and I think a lot of the vegetables that you discuss in your book, people don't know how to cook them. Not only are they not as, you know, they're may, they may not be as pretty as a smooth purple eggplant, do you know what I mean? Or they, but you, the, I looked at many of the recipes because I thought to myself, God, this woman has balls to tell us that parsnips parsnips can taste good. Okay. <laughs> Not and, a fan, are you, Denise? No, I have to tell you what, Becky, and this is the truth. Again, this book is so timely. When I first got out of school, I cooked in France for, I was actually working in a bakery. It's a long story and not fit for public consumption. But I ate some of these vegetables then because Parisians always knew that celery root was delicious. Do you know what I mean? And um, uh, they just had a many, what I, you know, we used to call them exotic vegetables. Now we'll call them misunderstood. But I did eat parsnips in France that were absolutely delicious. And I have come home and walked by them and thought, you're just, you're just not colorful carrots and never <laughs> And never done anything with you. And the, one of the recipes you have for them is delicious. And you have a parsnip soup, which also sounds delicious. So you come up, you you decide to use this idea to expound on this idea, which I think is fabulous and so timely right now, because 
let's be honest, people are looking for more for different vegetables and more way to cook vegetables. Becky, I'm the classic. I go to the farmer's market where I live now. I We end up eating green beans and asparagus and eggplant and broccoli because that's what I can get my husband to eat. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And lots of and carrots. But lots of times he prefers his vegetables not cooked at all. So I'm cooking mine and he's eating his raw, which is fine. But I'm thrilled that there's some you have some new ideas for us. Now, tell the people one other thing before we go any further in this book. What are the titles of your other books? Um, well, there's the first one that I don't say. It's like my first pancake. It was bad and I don't I don't talk about it. So we won't go there. So I've technically written seven books, but there's only six. Okay. So um uh we have good fish about sustainable seafood we have how to taste which is teaching home cooks how to develop their palate and how to know how to season food we have shroom um about drugs um (laughs) we have uh, just kidding mushrooms um we have uh not one shrine which is like a food mem um travel log that i co-wrote with a friend of mine um and this one. Okay. I think yeah. I didn't forget. I don't think I forgot. Any. I think that's it. Now yeah. answer me. You don't have to say anymore. Why do you feel now that that wasn't a good book? So you obviously have learned or grown. Yeah. yeah. So is that what happened? Because I, I look at a lot of things back in my career and I think, oh my God, I was sure trying hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. But maybe not that successful. But is that so? Is that why you say that about? No, the- it's it's more because I was a I was a co writer on the book. I was naive. I was young. I didn't have an agent. I got basically ripped off. Okay. Um, it was more just a bad experience. It wasn't so much that I didn't like. Um, my work has definitely improved, but my writing. You know, I had to, to to mirror my writing to the style of the book that was already there. Um, it was more that it just reminds me um, of my youth enthusiasm. I am appreciative for that first book because I was able to go to a writing conference and hold that book. And when I met an editor, say I've already been published and then never use that book again, except as a, a paperweight. In yes. My well, darling, when you describe that first book, that also describes my first marriage. So oh. <laughs> oh, God. Please not- say that your first husband is not a paperweight in your home. No, he's dead. And, and well, now- then he could be. I know. <laughs> uh, and I spoke for the first time in years to one of his sisters, oh. the loveliest woman in the whole world. And it was so cute. And we just we touched base. But honey, you know what? That there's learning experiences in life, and that's what they are. But you know what? You just said a a tidbit (laughs) that's wonderful, and it's true. Lots of people that want to write a book don't realize, and that's why self-publishing has become so viable for people and so um, important. When you can meet with a new agent or a publisher, and you've got something that's been published, that holds weight with them. Do you know what I mean? That's all it is. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it holds a lot of weight that you got something published. So that's pretty wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was worth the um, very pathetic fee they gave me for my months of work. 
Oh, oh yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's and and right. speaking of of women and what we've learned, the undervaluing of our work is a topic for a different day. But um, I I love to mentor younger chefs and writers and just tell them how they they just are. We we undervalue what we're worth, and and it is we're mm-hmm. we're we're shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that. Yes. And and giving away our labor for free or nearly free. And it, it it's enough to make me go apoplectic. And after when I married my first husband, uh, second husband. Oh, gosh, they're nothing alike. That was not great. that was a terrible Freudian slip. My second husband and I had only been married a year or two. So I had an office in my home and I was styling and still doing a little catering. Um, yeah, I still had a commercial kitchen. So I was trying to transition just into books and in food styling. And I was still catering because I made a lot of money, Becky. I mean, that was the only time, you know, that made money. My husband's an attorney. So every moment that he opens his mouth, he's billing somebody. Do you know what I mean? And he said to me one day, after I took him to a fancy she-she special event filled with cookbook authors, mostly women, um, a few male chefs were there, blah, blah, blah. He turned to me in the car as we were coming home and he said, God, don't you women, it doesn't anybody make any money in this business. And I remember it being too honest. That hit close to home. I thought, what the fuck does that mean? And then I remember thinking, and he said to me, and actually, Becky, the last, you know, certainly my career grew, but having Kenny speak to me about making money and not undervaluing my work helped me enormously. Do you know what I mean? And I was able to learn to sell my skills at a higher dollar value. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy because my famous, Cindy knows this, one of my famous things was when people would call us for food styling in LA and they I would quote them our rates and they would say things like, well, don't you think you're special? <laughs> and they would say, well, we get a girl in New York who's for half that. I said, then hire her. That's right. Then fly her to LA. Let her thousand dollars on props. So I know, honey, that is another topic. And, you know, actually, that would be a wonderful topic. And we could have you back and a, another person also that I know. And we could just talk about pricing in... You know, I still get a lot of emails, Becky, from new stylists, from new authors. I'm sure you do too. And new, and and of course, because when blogging came into it, they they didn't do it on purpose. I have nothing but praise for being entrepreneurial, but they undercut the market again because yeah. they didn't because they were. I remember not now, and certainly their influences would have made big bucks. But I still know bloggers that are working for a case of avocados. I mean, ridiculous. I mean, I get it. I get it. As it has undercut the, you know, undercut our industry again. I, you know, it's all gonna. Uh, I don't know if it all evens out. Now answer me this: How, how did you create your table of content? So um, when I was thinking about the different vegetables, I could only uh, pick 25, which was hard. And and so I I put a list of ones that I wish I could have included at the end of the book. But um, I wanted to think about each, I wanted to think about Americans based on their cultural upbringing and what would be misunderstood to them. So 
you know, for uh, me, uh, white, I was raised Jewish, white, you know, middle class, East Coast, okra is completely baffling to me. Okra is very misunderstood to me. I thought of it as a slime mutant from outer space, and I wanted it to have nothing to do with on my plate. I didn't understand it. And and then it was it was actually our mutual friend, Ashlyn, who's from Mississippi, who introduced me to the, the wonders of okra. So I started interviewing my students, and, and I have a pretty di- diverse group of students who come to the pantry, and my Indian students would say, oh, we understand okra, we understand eggplant, we have no problems with that, but what the hell are stinging nettles? And like, what the hell do you do with a parsnip? Like, these are, you know, um, so each group, you know, like tomatillos are are like, you know, apples to a person from a, um, uh, you know, Mexican or uh, Latin American country. But a lot of, you know, people not from that culture only think of three things to do with a tomatillo. We can make, or one thing, we can make salsa. Yes. We yes. can make, maybe they know you can make a, a um, um, I'm forgetting my, my uh, other example that I use, but uh, uh, there are, you know, different, very limited ideas for people who are not raised with tomatillos, but tomatillos, and I use that as an example in the introduction, they are basically like a green tomato, very sour, very tart. There is no reason a, a tomatillo couldn't be added to a blender to be the acidic base of a vinaigrette. Excellent. I mean, it, it adds the flavor, it adds the acidity. So it's like once you take that misunderstood vegetable to you and you break it down into what does it represent as far as flavor, texture, acidity levels, sweetness levels, and then you open your mind. I mean, this is you know, there's nothing really radical about the book, but, but what I like, the way I like to teach is to really get people to drop any of their preconceived notions of, of produce or people, like just drop it down, get the core, the soul of what that person or that vegetable is, and then find the ways to relate to it and find connections to it. And, um, you know, my wife, she hates eggplant, man. She thinks it is just a... (laughs) limey, textureless cotton ball of bitterness. She cannot stand eggplant. And the poor thing also doesn't love mushrooms. And so she had to like test through 75 mushroom recipes with me for that book. And now on the eggplant chapter, she was my my person that I was like, I want to see if I can convince an eggplant hater to at least tolerate eggplant. And in that, I learned to teach people who are, who misunderstand eggplant, what is the best way to coax the flavor and and cover that texture? What is the best way to get the best texture? Because eggplant can go wrong texture-wise in a million different directions. It's not an easy vegetable to work with. What is the way to embrace the sliminess of okra? And then what is the best way to mitigate the sliminess of okra? So like finding, you know, the pros, the cons and working with them, you know, whole cultures love what okra contributes with that slime factor because it gives body to gumbos and it creates texture. And, um, but then there's people like me who are like, I don't want alien snot. I don't want it on my plate. So what, how do I get rid of that? Well, there's one way to get rid of it. It's super high heat and it's, you know, doing certain things to bring out the best in the vegetables. So it was a journey for me as far as like interviewing people. I love talking to people about um, food and 
and their cultural upbringings and 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 how they use these different ingredients. And so it, it, that's kind of how I got to the 25 vegetables. I also wanted to make this book as approachable as possible. So I didn't want vegetables, you know, too many vegetables that were impossible to find. Yes. You know. No, I think you've made it very approachable. Now, does April, does your wife like eggplant now? Okay, I'm going to say a hard no, um, <laughs> but she, I did move the needle a little bit. And, you know, she's also a super taster, which means she's very sensitive to bitterness and sensitive to texture, both good and bad. And so, you know, getting her to like or love eggplant, I knew was never going to happen. But I wanted her to be like, oh, I'm starting to understand the flavor. It's like me and IPA beers. Okay. I smell an IPA beer and the hops of an IPA are beautiful. They smell so wonderful. The first taste floral, lovely. I get it. And then it beats me over the head for five minutes with this horrible, insane bitterness. And I'm like, no, why? I don't get it. But we're all unique. We have all unique palates. Yes. We have different taste bud densities, which determine how sensitive we are to food. And I understand where she's coming from. I She's like the canary in the coal mine. Like when the zombie apocalypse hit hits and it will it's not if or not it's going to happen when it hits i am going to give her taste of the food before i eat it it sounds cruel but she's going to know there's poison in it way long before me i love my wife i'm not trying to kill my wife i'm not saying that i'm just saying she will know all the things you're utilizing your resources that's right I mean, I have to survive. Uh, honey, now, I have to tell you this. The first time I was in Mississippi working on one of the paddle boats before, you know what I mean, going up. It was one of my first jobs after I'd been an intern because my roommate on the cr cruise ship lived in Kiln, Mississippi. And she said, I'll get you a job on a paddle boat. Oh, it sounded so exciting at the moment. But to make a long story short, I also was not, first of all, I'd never even seen okra, I bet. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I and I worked in grocery stores in California. I, I didn't know what okra was. It's not a big market. Well, and now I, when I saw the thickening agent that it became and what it did in gumbos and stuff, I got why they used it. Do I go out of my way to eat okra? No, but I've had fried okra that's pretty good. But you know, again, what everything you said, but I've had... I don't like beets, okay? This is just an example. I don't like beets. All I taste is dirt. I don't care. I've had the world's finest chef say to me, hey, Denise, would you buy beets? I think, yeah, go for it, buddy. And I taste the beets. They taste like dirt. Now I'm forced within the fancy restaurants to take the dying purpley beet. I try to hide it in my white linen napkin and, not, <laughs> and nobody see. It doesn't work. But eggplant is, I grew up with eggplants, Italians. We, we grew them in the garden. We know eggplant. And, but when you say that, what I love, and your whole approach to the culture is just brilliant. See, my husband doesn't like eggplant. So I, I sneak eggplant into all sorts of things. Do you know what I mean? It's a stretcher. I make eggplant parmesan, but I grill the eggplant now so I don't even have to bread it and we save calories and it tastes delicious to me. 
And whenever, and I serve it, and of course it's got so much sauce on top of it and some cheese, what difference does it make? And my husband says, why don't you just use veal? <laughs> it's <laughs> because the eggplant costs $2 and veal would have cost me $35. And the eggplant's healthier for you. Yeah. But I, I know people, he doesn't really get eggplant, but I, 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 he's gotten used to the fact that I'm going to serve it just like mushrooms. He always says to me, why do we have mushrooms and everything? I said, they're what Richard Simmons, my client used to say, they're free. There's no calories. You can <laughs> eat them. They're good for you. And I love mushrooms, but I know it's sometimes that's a tough sell too. Yeah, it really is. I also, I also love like, not just, you know, teaching people about how to cook with these things. I wish I had more space in the book because the history, like the history of okra, the connection to um, Black Americans and and their like the diaspora, you know, from Africa and and all that that uh, can inform us of. You know, you take one food and then you really you you, you know un un take the strand and just sort of lay it out, and it's fascinating. So I got to interview some. Um, you know, uh, wonderful um, culinarians, black culinarians, and and hear their stories of okra and and include their voices a little bit in in the book, but not enough space, of course. But it's I feel like to to really appreciate even the parsnip, the humble parsnip, is to learn a little bit about how it was used. It was more popular than carrots for a very long time, Denise, and. You know, I, I think that like to, you know, like what happened to push parsnips off of the American plate, you know, because it's a very popular vegetable in, in England. Yes. Um, you could you can't have a Sunday roast without a parsnip. So so, you know, who hurt us with parsnips? I think that Americans are shallow and we were attracted to the orange color of the carrot. I'm sure of it. And this, the greater sweetness, because like yes. if you can breed more sweetness into a vegetable and lose nutrition, honestly, in that process, you're going to get more converts. And I think that we have really overbred a lot of vegetables to, to make them less healthy for us and uh, the, the planet. And that's another discussion for another day, uh, but that's, um, I know. that's it's another, yeah. It's another motivation for me to get these weird, wacky, misunderstood vegetables back on Americans' plates because well, there's history and there's nutrition in them. Well, I'm going to tell you, I am going to make the parsnip soup out of your cookbook. I read it this morning and I thought, oh my God, this would be delicious. I'm going to make it, Becky. So that's a convert. Well, you first you have to taste it, and then you get back to me about whether you're a convert. Okay. But I think that the the thing that puts people off about parsnip is the um, earthiness of yes. it. And I'm not a beet fan either, so I understand the dirt con connection with certain vegetables. So the most important part of that recipe is to actually use the apple butter, which sounds strange. Yes, yes, but I get it. it. Is in the using the apple butter, you don't need to make it. I give a recipe for making it. You don't need to make it. Just go buy some apple butter. And the combination of the, the sweetness and earthiness of the parsnip in the soup and a little bit of that apple butter on top is what I think marries it and, okay. and, and allows people to appreciate the parsnip for what it is. That's a fabulous tip. You know, and it's the thing is, but I want to like beets. 
Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's not, but I wish it tasted earthy. It doesn't taste earthy to me. They taste like dirt. Do you see what I'm saying? And I just think it's actually, it has to be a chemical reaction to me because, but I love the way beets look. I love that you can do so many things with them. I love the color of them. I just can't eat them. Well, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I, if you go to the beet chapter, you can, you can read okay. about my, um, uh, I, my early trauma with beets, which I grew up with a single dad who thought giving us beets out of a can in the seventies was a good idea. Yes. Um, I yeah. would, he would, he was very strict. So I would have to sit at the dinner table until I finished those beets. Um, I would, um, everyone, my brothers were gone. It, it was dark. The lights were off and I'd still be sitting at the table, staring at the beets on my plate, traumatized because they tasted like dirt and the inside of the metal can. And yes. I thought that they were the most disgusting, vile things. And so I would put them in my mouth, um, tell him I was done or, and then I would go to the bathroom and I would get rid of them. Um, I would try, I couldn't use the linens for obvious reasons. Anyway, so what I have found in my own beat journey is that, uh, uh, you know, which is a thing people talk about with beat journeys, um, is I can now appreciate and enjoy beets only in certain ways. Okay. Acidity is key. Having okay. high acid balances the dirt flavor. Having okay. creaminess of a cheese, like a little bit of creamy French feta or goat cheese, high acid, a lot of like red wine vinegar or pickled red onions with a bite okay. of the beet. So having a crunchy nut. Okay. with it. So like, if you think of just a, a roasted beet in, in a smaller pieces, so you don't get too much of that dirt flavor, yeah. let's yes. say a, a cube of a roasted beet with olive oil, a um, little bit of apple cider or red wine vinegar, a little bit of goat cheese, a toasted pistachio, and some herbs. Take okay. that bite together. And that, that I actually can say, I love it now. Okay. And it took it took me figuring out how to balance those things for my palate. All right. Now you my mind is exploding as you say that. Probably because when I was served them, even in fancy restaurants, it was too big of a piece. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think it was too big of a piece. And there was pressure on me to make me look like I liked it because these were famous chefs that kept saying, oh, I know you'll like it. And of course, if I said I didn't like it, I might have just whacked their weenie. You know what I mean? So I, I, it was an, I was under a lot of stress. Nothing is, nothing is more patronizing when someone says to you that you don't know your own palate. That's right. And and you like, I know we're in an era now where women don't have control over their bodies anymore, but until they come for my palate, it's still <laughs> mine. And they haven't yet legislated against that. It might be coming, but like, I am still going to tell you that there are certain flavors, certain things that I need certain ways in order to make. I, I, there's still freedom in this country to a certain extent. You don't I, you don't have to eat fucking beets if you don't want to. But if you're open to trying it a slightly different way, if you're open, like if you're one of these people who are like, I hate beets, but I am willing to try it in a way 
that might move me. Then well, yes, then here's the way. Yes, you said it. And now I can think about that because my husband loved beets. So see, if I roasted some beets and I fed him beets, he would be the happiest person in the world. So now it's worth trying for me. And I like your expression of moving. It's like moving the needle, even if it's just a little bit, Becky, that's a, that's a great visual for me, not expecting me to, do you know what I mean? To all of a sudden embrace every single thing. That's a great visual for me. Like I can't sing Denise. Like I can't, I don't even sing in the shower because I'm not tone deaf. I wish I were tone deaf. <laughs> I hear how off I am and it tortures my ears. So I don't sing at all. And my wife has the voice of an angel. And it's, oh it's one of the reasons I fell in love with her. I heard her singing and I was like, uh, that's it. I'm done. Lovely. And she is always saying to me, just practice. It's like a skill, like anything else. Just try it every day. You'll get better. You'll get better. And I said, listen, the needle would move but it would move so little that it's not worth the effort to get there. So if you want to love beats, you have to have the desire to move the needle, right? To yeah. make it worth trying it different ways. But if you were like, listen, I am never going to be able to sing in a way that's remotely pleasing, then don't fucking sing. And I don't. The end. I like, I'll tell you this, Becky, I'm sure this has happened to you. I love it when I post whatever I'm posting on Facebook, a recipe that I cooked the night before. Now, people always ask me for the recipe. And I say things like, the banana needed a home. <laughs> so I I smashed it up with some brown sugar and I threw in some flour and it came out, you know, they came out muffins. But I mean, when I know you know... When you cook so long... No, I don't have recipes for a lot of the dinners I make. It's a can of... Uh, white beans and some I made one last night and chicken thighs and I used diced tomatoes and put in some red wine my god it was delicious and then I made some mushrooms I don't know what you call it I called it last night's chicken thighs do you know what I mean and it was out of this world um now I can recreate that because it was just a can of this and a you know a handful of this but what amazes me when I started on that rant is I think and one of the things you're saying people don't trust their palates Okay. Well, does it taste good? I said, did it taste good to you? People don't trust their palates. They're afraid of trying to cook something without a recipe, which I don't get. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I understand if you're a busy mother and you don't have any money and you need to feed three, three children at 6 p.m. No, that's not the night to, you know, um, pretend or, you know, improvise. But People have gotten so far away from food that they don't understand even simple ingredients. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. And it, I, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted right now because you said the banana needs a home. And I feel like that would should be your memoir book title about your husband, ex-husbands. <laughs> oh, that is good, Becky. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. And this is the hard part of getting old. And you said it just once you said, oh, you lost your train of thought for a moment. But Becky, you're so articulate. As we age, and this is, and I take supplements and I try, you know, I'm doing everything. I walk, I'm taking Pilates. I'm doing everything I can to keep my brain. And I read a lot. Do you know what I mean? And I do cook a lot, which I find to me is, 
still one of the funnest things that I can do for myself. I really enjoy it, but I learn from it every time, even when I'm alone, just cooking something. But things, finite details like the first husband. I remember the glow of getting married. I remember you don't really know anybody until you divorce him. Okay. And then I found out he wasn't such a nice guy. But okay, we all, life goes on. The day my sister called me one morning at 7.30, I digress to this because at 7.30 in the morning, she still lives in Marin, where we're from, in San Francisco, where my whole family is. She said, Nisi, I have to tell you something. I said, what? She said, before anybody else calls you, I don't know how to say it. She was crying. I said, what is it, Annie? She said, Randy died. And I said, who? <laughs> she said, your first husband. <laughs> and I wasn't proud of that, Becky. But then she said, your first husband. And I said, oh, I forgot because I'm about it. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I mean, I, I think of fun moments once in a while, but no, he wasn't on the tip of my tongue. So when he died, he was gone. But I do think <laughs> your idea of that for a memoir title is pretty damn good. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Well, I'll think about that later. Anyway, now listen, what else didn't I ask you that you'd like us to know about this book? Because I mean, it's, I just think that people, I think that people, this is, a, this is a problem solver for a lot of people. And the more, I have more people tell me now, oh, I, I went to the, um, I go to the market and I saw these, I don't even know what to do with them. Do you know what I mean? So I think you're right smack in the center of um, something really important. Um, what didn't I, I ask you that you would like know. to, the you're, book very, is, you're very thorough. So I think you did a great job of, of hitting all of the key parts of it. Um, I guess I would just say, you know, like when I would go into supermarkets um, testing the recipes, I, you can imagine what was on, you know, the belt there, yeah. like the, yeah. the gnarled, dirty celery root, the, you know, hirsute burdock root, the, yeah. you know, uh, watermelon radish, these, the sunchoke, which looks like just rocks. I and know. and I got so many comments from just the checkers just being like, well, this is the ugliest order of my day. <laughs> and what the hell is that? Or I've never had to look that one up. And it was, it was in, inspired me actually. Cause then I was doing yeah. these little like cl mini classes with the checker and the people behind me in line. And then I was like, this is great. So I guess the one thing I would say is I feel like just like we misjudge people all the time based on how they look or how they sound like grab one of these things that just looks unfamiliar, looks strange to you, is unfamiliar to you, is not in your personal background, and just get to know it. It's going to be your new friend. And you might not like everyone, every vegetable, you don't like every person, but like, just do a little bit of work at the beginning, just a little bit to get to know it. And I'm, my hopefully the book helps you do that work. And then you never know, it could be your new best friend and you you will regret and I regret the lost celery root years. Yes, yes. Because my mashed potatoes have never tasted more interesting or better since there's always celery root in my mashed potatoes or almost always, because yeah. now the flavor is so much more delicious, so much more complex. And, you know, 
I'm getting older too. I don't want to like be like, oh my gosh, like I didn't get to know that person. I didn't get to know that vegetable. I didn't get to do that thing, you know? So just, you know, go for it. Oh, perfectly said, perfectly said. Well, now Becky, you have to come back and we've touched on several things we should talk about in the future. And I hope you'll come back. I hope that people will go to Amazon and look at your book, Misunderstood Vegetables. If I didn't say this already, let me tell you something. It's beautifully photographed, beautifully styled, honey. And I know you always go to Claire Barboza, who's been your friend and a photographer for a long time. It's beautiful. Thank you. That means so much coming from you, Denise. You're definitely an icon in the um, food styling and Cindy food styling, food photography world. Um, and I do all my own food styling and I just learned on the job. And I, I, the main reason I'll say this to, to, to wrap up that, that I do my own for me, I like to do my own food styling is I just, I know it's not perfect, but I want the home cook to know they can do it. There you and, go. Yeah. You know, and that's something that blogging, good for you. And also you want it to look like you envision it, which is another thing, they're your recipes. The other thing is what blogging did bring to publishing and food styling and to writing was more home cooks' voices, which I think is wonderful, home chefs' voices, home cooks' voices, but also because they didn't know they were breaking rules sometimes, rules that had been set up. 30, 40, 40 years ago in food styling, food has become more natural looking and it's better. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's better yeah. for everyone. It, when you're in the corporate world, of course, you still have to make things look perfect because otherwise they couldn't sell that slop. Do you know what I mean? But come on. I have never gotten a hamburger from McDonald's or Jack in the Box or any of the fast food that we styled that didn't look like fatty arbuckle talk about old oh oh my god i got that reference but like they're not selling <laughs> you making the food they're selling a uh, fantasy that's right it's different they're it's selling. porn true it's porn <laughs> so i'm thrilled that food styling has taken a turn for the better in making food more approachable and that home cooks can fix it and then, and also, you know, this sounds really corny, but it's the way I feel. Food is beautiful all by itself. Yeah. Because I grew up in grocery stores and my father, my grandfather owned butcher shops. I just remember looking at a steak or a lamb chop and thinking, God, what a beautiful lamb chop. You know what I mean? And people saying to me, how could you think that's beautiful? Well, it's the same way with Romesco or any of the vegetables. They are beautiful. Gorgeous. All right, madam. Now. People want to know more about Becky. Of course, when we broadcast, the information is on our website. It's on our Facebook page. Mostly it's our Facebook page because that's where everybody goes. Woman beyond a certain age on Facebook. Um, thank you, Becky. Thank Cindy for keeping the train on the track. She always does. And honey, I just wish you the best of luck and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Cindy. Um, this is really, truly fun. I'm like, I'm smiling so much because I had I'm such a so good time. Glad. If it's not fun, Becky, now this is another thing about us, we won't be understanding. If it's not fun, we ain't doing it. Okay. We ain't got no time for that. No time. I'm at the end of the runway. Like, right. I want right. to have 
if you want to reach out to us, it's womenbeyond at icloud.com. We take messages, we take comments, we take whatever you'll give us. Okay, thank you. The beats. Take care. <laughs>